verses 18 through 26 of Exodus 4. It's on page 47. If you would just simply like to grab a Bible from the church in front of you and uh, grab that and begin reading along with us. I'll read it out loud, but uh, you can follow along with your eyes. This is God's word for us this morning, and here's what God says. Beginning at verse 18. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and put them on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, a, bli- a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. There is no word like your word. And so our prayer now is that you would show us wonderful things pertaining to you from your word. Open our eyes. Open our hearts. Change us. Because of what you show us. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. There are some strange components to these verses. In fact, my first instinct uh, was to just maybe perhaps skip over them. We touched on a part of chapter 4 last week. And I'm just thinking to the next week, chapter 5. Just go right on past that and... Let you all kind of sort it out and figure it out. So now I hope that as a result of the moments that we have together that you won't come back to me and say, I just wish you would have trusted your own first instinct. But there are strange things being spoken of here in these brief verses. Now, when I say strange, I don't mean that in any way to show a disrespect or a disregard for Scripture. 
Scripture is eternally perfect. It is God's Word. There is, there is nothing from God's perspective that, that is wrong or, uh, or uh, in, ineffective or inadequate about God's Word at all. But, but I mean strange in the sense that there are things in the Scripture, there are portions of the Scripture that are odd or weird or bizarre to us. And uh, we, we need to learn from these sections of Scripture. Many passages are simple, straightforward, and basic. Other passages can be hard to sort out. Um, so I want us to spend some time kind of trying to lean into um, some things that are spoken of here in these verses um, that are that are maybe odd to us. It, it's, it's a challenge to explain them. And I suppose I could just simply say, if I knew the Scriptures better, um, I would be able to give a better uh, explanation of these passages. But we'll work on all of this together and try to sort this out. Well, a couple of the things that are pretty clear. Now, Moses has just got done speaking and chapter 3 and the first part of chapter 4, the Lord has appeared to Moses in the burning bush and has um, given Moses his directive to go back to Egypt, that Moses would be the human instrument in which God would rescue his people from Egyptian slavery. And uh, immediately after that episode there of the burning bush is verse 18, Moses then goes back to Jethro, his father-in-law. He was, he was watching Jethro's um, livestock uh, while he met the Lord through that burning bush. And he goes back and seeks permission from his father-in-law. His father-in-law says, go in peace. Verse 19, um, he receives uh, assurance from the Lord. Now, the, the guys, because it was, it was 40 years ago, but the guys who sought to, your life uh, 40 years ago, they're no longer there. And so uh, go back with that sort of peace and reassurance. And then in verse 20, Again, pretty straightforward and simple. Um, uh, Moses uh, packs up and, and heads off to Egypt. And in so doing, he places his uh, wife and sons on a donkey or on donkeys uh, to head back, which is, I think, a very um, a telling thing. He's walking back, but he makes sure that his wife and children are, uh, are, have the adequate travel means necessary for this long trip back. But, but what unfolds next? There's two episodes that I want us to focus on. The first episode at verses 21, 22, and 23, uh, I just summarize it as the strange surprise concerning Pharaoh's son. And then when we get there in verses 24, 25, and 26, the strange surprise concerning Moses' firstborn son. So, so there's some commonality what's going on here. That both, um, both odd um, episodes uh, pertain to firstborn sons. And also both episodes are very rich in terms of uh, gospel implications for us. So I think it's worth the effort to try to better understand what's going on. So verse 21 um, it says there, and the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, 
See that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. You, you, might, you might notice that at the end of verse 20, uh, and Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Remember earlier it was the very staff of God that, that, that the Lord uh, gave to Moses in which Moses would be able to do many, many incredible wonders or miracles or mighty acts. And so Moses takes that with him. God says to him, now make sure that you do all that I have put in your power, all the miracles. But then he says something very, I don't know, it just kind of jars us, I think, when we read it. Um, But I will, verse 21, but I will harden his heart, speaking of Pharaoh, speaking of the king of Egypt, I will harden his heart so that um, he will not let the people go. So go back, perform these miracles, but I'm just, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just telling you right now how things are going to play out. When you go back and, and perform these miracles, um, uh, I will harden Pharaoh's heart so he will not immediately grant your request to let the Israelites go. Now, this language of I will harden your heart, we, we are going to be bumping into this for the next 10 chapters in Exodus. So I'm not going to say everything that maybe we could say about that this morning. Uh, we'll just have to unpack this in the weeks to come. But, but just a couple of preliminary things. Um, uh, first of all, this is the first of almost 20 instances that refer to something about Pharaoh's hard heart. This first one, it says, the Lord says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And uh, about 10 of the almost 20 times that it uh, references Pharaoh's hard heart, God is noted as the immediate or direct cause of that. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. That's the first episode. There's nine more waiting for us as we make it through the next 10 chapters. Three times... In the in this same segment, the next 10 chapters, three times, uh, it explicitly says that Pharaoh um, hardened his own heart. So 10 times it says God is the cause of Pharaoh's hard heart. Three times it explicitly says that uh, Pharaoh is the cause of his own heart being hardened. And uh, six times it's ambiguous. It just says Pharaoh has a hard heart, or Pharaoh's heart is hard. It doesn't really uh, attribute what the causation is. Um, But I think what we are beginning to get a glimpse of is over the next 10 chapters, there is this uh, intriguing interplay between the heart of Pharaoh and the hand of God. I suppose we could go back to chapter 3. In fact, look at verse 19 of chapter 3 when the Lord is telling Moses through the burning bush to go back and, and how things were going to play out there. It says in 319, uh, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. And then what we've just read in uh, 421 See that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put into your hand. 
but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. So there's the hard-heartedness of Pharaoh. Pharaoh will not listen. He will not grant that request. And I think the huge implication going back to 319 is, well, why won't he listen? Why won't he grant that request? Because he has a hard heart. Pharaoh will not listen because he's hard-hearted. That's the default setting of the human heart, if you would. The Lord's hand will then come alongside of that and will, if you would, strengthen that hardness. He will not take a heart where there is no hardness and make it hard. He will take a heart where there is hardness and confirm that, strengthen that, solidify that. So that in that confirmed state of hard-heartedness, Moses, I mean Pharaoh, refuses to listen to the Lord and to the request through the through the mighty through the, through the mighty wonders that are displayed, and there will be what we know as ten plagues, in which the mighty hand of God will be displayed through these ten plagues, and Pharaoh will not relent. He will not turn, in part because, we could say, his heart is hardened. In part because God is going to make him go through every one of these ten plagues. And so he confirms that hard-heartedness. So that God's mighty acts might display the mighty hand of God. Do you feel a tension there? Which, which and is it? On the one hand, we're we're told in a passage like Proverbs 21, verse 1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it whatever way he will. That's a word for Pharaoh. That's a word for our present leaders. He can confirm them in their hard-heartedness, or he can break them. We worship the God who is in control of every single government leader everywhere, all time, all places. The heart of the king, the heart of the president, the heart of the governor, the heart of the county commissioner. I don't know, you fill in the blank. They, They each... They each, their heart is like a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He can turn it whichever way he wishes. The Lord's hand will break the hardness of Pharaoh at the appropriate time. And then Pharaoh will order the release of the Israelites from Egyptian captivity. And he will do that, he will do that through the final mighty act the final mighty act that we will learn about in the chapters to come, but particularly when we get to Exodus 12, we will see it played out. The last plague in which the angel of death will pass through Egypt and he will strike down the firstborn in the land of Egypt. 
And that's what the Lord is alluding to. doesn't tell Moses all the things that are played out yet here in chapter 4 of what will be played out in chapter 12. But he says, uh, you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, verse 22, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me, that he literally may, he may worship me. He's been serving you, Pharaoh, my firstborn son has. But my firstborn son is to worship and serve me. Let him go. And, if, and he says, but, and if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. So it's a tale of two firstborn sons. There's the firstborn son of the Lord, which in this case, collectively, he's just saying, Israel, my people, my treasured possession. They are my firstborn son, and you're messing with my kid. And if you don't let my kid go, if you don't let my firstborn son go, I am going to strike down your firstborn son. And he does that. The Passover, the angel of death, passes through the land of Egypt, and he strikes down the firstborn, all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. But the Lord gives instructions to his firstborn son, to Israel, uh, that, concerning what we now know as the Passover, that the Lord will pass over the homes that have the blood of the Lamb painted on their doorposts. When the angel of death sees the blood on the doorposts, the lamb does not the, the, the angel does not stop in that home. The angel passes over. Israel's firstborn son, through the blood of the lamb, will live. Uh, the Egypt's firstborn son will die because the blood of the lamb will be the game changer. The blood of the lamb will cover and cleanse so that the angel of death passes over the homes of the people of Israel who have done as the Lord has instructed and that is painted the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their homes. Second strange thing, the strange surprise concerning Moses' firstborn son, and that's verses 22 and 24. Um, It reads like this. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met... Well, now, the, the first layer of difficulty with verses 23, 24, and 25 is, first of all, just trying to sort out the pronouns. Now, I'm telling you, um, uh, when my mom was still alive, uh, and her and Diane would get into these complicated conversations about people and things, um, and I was always the interpreter, since mom couldn't hear Diane's soft voice anyway, so Diane would say something, I'd have to repeat it, and whatever. So I was the interpreter, but, but them two... I don't, I don't, guys cannot keep this stuff straight. Only women can do this. And I I say that to to their uh, keen ability. Uh, But they would have six different uh, hymns or hers or she's or whatever going on. And and they knew exactly uh, what each of them meant and what each other meant about which him or which her or which she or what. Whatever they were talking about. And being the interpreter, I was so flummoxed and lost. Well, there's there's the first level of complication here is just simply who? 
Who's the him? Who's the he? And what I would suggest to you is that the him, in verse 24, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. The common take on that is that him is Moses. I don't think that's the best way to read that. Could be wrong. Again, like I said at the preface, if I understood my Bible better, I would teach this better perhaps. But, but time was up. It's Sunday morning. I got to show up and go with it. You know, but but, but, but as I if I understand the text, because then the first um, defined pronoun that we do have specified is in verse 25. Then Sipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin. So I think, I think the him who was going to be put to death was Gershom, Moses' firstborn son. So I would read this at verse 24. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Gershom and sought to put Gershom to death. Like, huh? Why? Well, remember, we, we just got done talking about how Pharaoh's firstborn son was going to be put to death. And yet Israel, who is the Lord's firstborn son, would be spared through the blood of the, of the lamb. But, but now it looks like Moses' firstborn son is, a, is, a, is, a, is about to be taken out. Um, but Zipporah, mom, praise God for moms, they always know what's going on. Um, but then Zipporah took a flint, sharp object, short, short, uh, if you would, a knife for those days, um, and cut off her son's foreskin and touched. Now, here's another hymn, and uh, not as sure about this one, but I would suggest to you, it says, it says Moses there, but you'll notice there's a little, either a letter or an alphabet or a number there, and if you read your footnote, it literally says him. So we're just, again, we're still trying to figure out who's the him here. And uh, it, it, it quite possibly the, the him is Gershom as well, rather than Moses. Could be wrong about that. Uh, ask Diane, it's not the first time I'm wrong about something. Uh, but, but then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet, which I take it to be Gershom's feet. And it just says, literally it just says his feet or uh, him, his feet. And, uh, and with it said... In which I, I would suggest you even when she, she cut off his foreskin. In other words, she circumcised her son. He had never been circumcised before. And she touched his feet, which could be a euphemism for something other than feet. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he, this is the Lord, let him... Gershom alone. Uh, it was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Now, we finally got to it. So at least we know what's going on with the removal of the foreskin. This is, this is uh, related to the act of circumcision. And um, so, it, see, I told you it was odd or strange or bizarre. Um, this is not what we usually encounter when we come to church. Um, and, um, but but what is going on, I would suggest you to cut right through it. Well, pun intended, I suppose. But um, is uh, the... I did, that's not in the notes. But um, the... This is something that is going to occur that needed to have occurred 
with Moses' firstborn son. And it pertains to the matter of circumcision. In Genesis chapter 17 is where we have the first record of this thing called circumcision. It, it happened uh, later, much later in Abraham's life. Um, Moses, I mean, the, the Lord appeared to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and, and made him a promise. The Lord appeared to Abraham in Genesis 15 and took that promise and made an, an oath wrapped inside of a covenant. And then in Genesis 17, we're building on the promise, we're building on the oath, we're building on the covenant. And in Genesis 17, it, 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 the, the Lord instructs Abraham to respond to him through the exercise of a symbol that, that, uh, that what, would, uh, what would symbolize that Abraham and Abraham descendants belong to the covenant that God had made with Abraham, uh, rooted in the promises that God made to Abraham, was that there'd be a cutting off of, of Abraham and all of his descendants' foreskin because of the promises that the Lord made to Abraham and to Abraham's descendants. What I would suggest to you is that that strange cutting off of the foreskin, as specified in Genesis 17, as, as I think what Exodus 4 is, is explaining and referring to is, first of all, to cut off the foreskin was to symbolize that the, the person understands that the removal of their foreskin, the cutting off of their foreskin, symbolized that they understood that they themselves deserved death. They deserved to die. In fact, in, in, no, in, in, in Genesis 9-1, after the, the devastation on the earth because of the, of the Lord destroying all flesh, he says there, after the boat landed, um, it, to, it says to Noah... Never again will I completely cut off all flesh. Never again will I completely destroy all life. But all life, certainly in a, in, in a sense of justice before God, deserves to be cut off, destroyed. So symbolically, what circumcision did in the Old Covenant is it, is it, 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 it was a statement. It symbolized a statement. I deserve death, but the Lord is going to be gracious to me. And to show that I deserve death, I, I will show that I'm a part of the covenant uh, that results in eternal life in that I will cut off my foreskin. Second thing that, symbol, that circumcision symbolizes, and it's certainly related, um, it, it symbolizes that the ones who are responding to the Lord by doing such an act wish to follow the Lord wholeheartedly and completely. They, they wish to be totally devoted to the Lord. They want to give everything they are to the Lord, and yet to symbolize that they want to give everything that they are to the Lord, they will, they will give their foreskin to show that they wish to give everything. Because as you wade through the Old Testament, what you begin to see is that that the removal of the foreskin is analogous to the removal of one's hard-heartedness. 
the Lord, or well, Moses, the Lord through Moses into the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 10, for instance, will, will chastise Israel for their hard-heartedness and tell them that their hearts need to be circumcised. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 30, the Lord will promise that one day he himself will do that. He will circumcise their hearts. So in this case, the, the outward act of circumcising the foreskin is to symbolize that inwardly that has occurred in their hearts, that, that God has done a work in their hearts, removed the hard-heartedness, and, and given them, if you would, new hearts, hearts that are devoted to the Lord, hearts that respond to the Lord. In, in Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 4, uh, the circumcision in the, of the heart is, in fact, an, analogous to a heart that is truly listening to and devoted to the Lord. So, so tie all this together. Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's not going to listen to the Lord because Pharaoh has a hard heart. Pharaoh needs his heart circumcised, and, and, yet, and, and yet Pharaoh will be judged in his hard-hearted state because Pharaoh has harmed the Lord's firstborn sons. And you turn right around this next, next, next episode and you have Moses failing to help his son identify with the covenant of life, uh, the covenant of eternal life that the Lord has made to his people through the descendants of Abraham. And so the, the, the Lord is, was about to treat Gershom the same way he was going to treat Pharaoh's firstborn son. He was going to cut him off. He was going to put him to death. Is it strange enough yet? You're ready to call uncle? We can, we can move on? What, what is all of this? What is all? What does all of this point to? It points to. I think if we would collapse this down and say, well, how, how does this work out today for us this morning? I would just. Com- I would take these two strange events and I would collapse them into two s- simple uh, uh, components for us this morning. First of all, from the first strange event, the strange surprise concerning Pharaoh's son. Unless the blood of the Lamb has covered you and cleansed you, you will face the angel of death. There's there's no getting around that. The only way to flee from the wrath of God is to run to the mercy of God as it is found in the shed blood of God. Jesus, the Lamb of God. Second, what this next strange episode, the strange surprise concerning Moses' son, what it points us to, how it plays itself out, is in the Old Covenant, circumcision was the sign that one belonged to the covenant of God, that, they, that, you, that, that, that Israel was the firstborn son of God and, and circumcision outwardly displayed that we understand that we deserve to be cut off, but that the Lord, we will display our, our conviction of that by removing the foreskin. In the New Testament, that's not the way this plays out. In the New Covenant, the parallel to circumcision is baptism. Not baptism meaning you just go through a, a wet 
uh, uh, ritual, but baptism meaning uh, that you outwardly symbolize what is truly genuine in your heart, that you are trusting in the blood of the Lamb and that you wish to be identified with Jesus. And that just as sim- uh, that, uh, that, that in and of yourself, you deserve death, but Jesus has made a way and I turn to Jesus and I want to go public with my profession of faith in Jesus. Baptism currently in the new covenant displays your your acknowledgement that you belong to Jesus. But baptism also displays, just like circumcision did, that, that, that God has done a work in my heart. God has circumcised my heart. And so I now listen to the Lord. I now follow the Lord. Through baptism, you are saying, I want to be a devoted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. So these strange episodes, as it turns out, point us to Jesus. These strange, bizarre events in the Old Covenant point us forward to what life in the New Covenant looks like as we understand who Jesus is and as we turn and follow the Lord Jesus Christ in early stage, an early step in turning and following the Lord Jesus Christ is to go public through baptism which you acknowledge you deserve death, you acknowledge you've received mercy through the blood of the Lamb, and that you acknowledge that you now want to be a follower of Christ. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for everything that your word teaches us, for the, for the things that are simple and straightforward and clear, and yet we thank you as well for the things that are um, cloudy and uh, odd and bizarre. Father, your word is perfect. And may through everything we discover and find in your word, may we always see Christ. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. If you're able